Okay, so this is the episode I did yesterday uh, with uh, Sean Wheelock, commentator Sean Wheelock, who you've seen on Bare Knuckle FC, um, the original Bellator events. Uh, he's all over the place. Um, and uh, I know he does some left way and just a number of different things. And uh, we also, uh, Art Davey, you know, the UFC creator, Art Davey. And the reason we did this episode is because every year Campbell McLaren, and he's been doing this for a number of years, but he constantly lies and tries to make it look like he's the guy that created the UFC, and he's not. And uh, every year he makes this post on the UFC's anniversary where he's saying, uh, you know, it has a picture of him and Dana White and Dana White's offices, and he says, 29 years ago today I I uh, launched the UFC and it changed the world. And it's just a complete nonsense. And not only is he lying, he's not even decent enough to give anybody else any credit. You know, he could at least say we or something like that. But he was never involved in launching the UFC. He never was an owner in the UFC even. So today we did this interview and this is the reason why we did it. So you're going to hear from the horse's mouth, Art Davey, about what Campbell McLaren's involvement was. And also Sean Wheelock, who helped Art Davey write his memoir. So we talked quite a bit about the book, which is Is This Legal?, and you can buy that book at uh, isthislegalthebook.com. Art will even sign it and write a letter in it for you uh, if you buy it from the website, which is isthislegalthebook.com. And, uh, yeah, so you're going to hear uh, the story straight from the horse's mouth. UFC creator Art Davey and Sean Wheelock. you got to check this out. If I can flip my polarity, Todd, let's see <laughs> if I know how to do this. And I do. How are you, pal? Yeah. I gotta bring Art in here in a moment. If that'll work, I'll be uh, I'll be in my driveway in five minutes. Oh, okay. So I'll try to be good, but we can start <laughs> we can start while I'm driving. <laughs> Thank you for yeah, doing so this. Yeah, so just maybe we could talk about a little bit about this while we're getting Art in. Here. Um, should join here in a moment, but uh, you know, I had seen Campbell McLaren make a post today. I sent it to you where he's saying, you know, today, you know, 29 years ago, I launched the UFC. You know, he doesn't mention anybody else. Kind of looks like he's just trying to make it look like he was the one behind it. Like, what do you think about that? You know, it, Todd, it, it's consistent with what Campbell McLaren has done for at least 15, if not 20, if not 29 years. And first off, I'll say a couple of things. You know me. I think people who know me in this industry know that I, I don't talk bad about anybody my basic personality is I like people when I meet them people really have to prove to me they're not a good person for me to dislike them and I think also I'm not someone who will ever say anything that I wouldn't say to someone's face so I would happily say this to Campbell McLaren this isn't something I'm trying to create a media frenzy or a Twitter war or anything like that that's just simply out of my purview that's out of my realm of understanding this is what I'll say. Art Davey over the last 11 years has become like my later in life father. My real dad, I was raised by my mom, uh, died in 2011. Um, serendipity, as it were, that's when I developed my relationship with Art. And so I'm protective of Art the way I would be protective of, of a close family member. And I try not to let this stuff bother me, but then this stuff bothers me. Campbell McLaren played a huge role in the creation of the USC uh, in the UFC, which I'm happy to detail, and I will. But he was never an owner. He was never a creator. He was never a principal. He was certainly never the founder. 
And <laughs> I don't know that pronouns have ever mattered more in the history of the English language than they do in 2022. Well, what about the pronoun I instead of the pronoun we? Or why was he not using us? So that that's what we'll talk about. Here's the story on Campbell McLaren. So Art Davey had started to develop the idea for the UFC when he was an advertising um, uh, an advertising man in 1989. Uh, you have graciously have our book, Is This Legal Behind? And it's there. And I will say, too, that it was very important in Is This Legal? that Art and I actually have facts, F-A-X, for people under 30. <laughs> Not a fact, although we do have plenty of F-A-C-T-S, but a facts. We reprint faxes that were sent, communications pre-email that were sent in the uh, early 90s of the creation of the UFC as documentation. We also put uh, contracts of which Campbell McLaren was never a principal. Why wasn't he a principal? Because he wasn't an owner. Uh, spelling out a timeline of what happened. Art Davey, by the time he found Campbell McLaren, had already been rejected by HBO, Showtime, and ESPN, amongst others, in launching the UFC. He already had Horion Gracie behind him. They, were, they had already partnered. They had already created an LLC called WOW Promotions, War of the World Promotions, which was the working title of what became the UFC. Here's what Campbell McLaren did, which was his amazing contribution. He took a cold call from a guy named Art Davey, a man he had never heard of on the other end of the phone from Los Angeles when he was in his office in New York. And he heard Art's pitch, and he thought that it was genius, and he recognized Art's genius. He then uh, flew Art out to a meet with him at Semaphore Entertainment Group, paying for it through SCG. Campbell was the vice president of acquisitions for Semaphore Entertainment Group. So this was a pay-per-view company. They... Uh, were mainly doing comedy concerts. They had tried a few things in sports. They did the Battle of the Sexes, too, with tennis. They did a tennis match between Martina Navratilova and Jimmy Connors. There's Art. Art, I'm laying out the Campbell. I'm laying out the Campbell McLaren contributions. You're doing a great and job. I'm just, thank you. And I'm just telling the story about how he took a cold call from you in the summer of 1993, and he recognized your genius. And to Campbell McLaren's credit, he flew you out, Art, and Semaphore paid for it. And he introduced you to his boss, Bob Myrowitz, who ultimately was the man who purchased the UFC from Art Davey. Bob Myrowitz wasn't into it so much so that he didn't even attend UFC 1. But Campbell McLaren saw the genius of it. Campbell McLaren's great contribution to history of the UFC and of MMA and of combat sports is that he became Art's champion. But I will tell you, had he passed, there would have been someone else. Because if you think that Art had already been told no by ESPN, HBO, and Showtime, amongst others, he wasn't then going to quit this four-year pursuit because he was told no by a mid-level pay-per-view company called Semaphore Entertainment Group. So I have a belief, Todd, that most people in life aren't really liars. They're just exaggerators. As an example, someone maybe did jujitsu for six months. Ten years later, they tell everyone they were a black belt. Somebody played Division II college football. Twenty years later, they tell people they played in the NFL. These aren't flat-out lies. These become gross exaggerations where there's a basis of truth. And that's what I see with Campbell McLaren, is that he had a great contribution. And I still, and Art, you and I have talked about this basically the whole span of our, of our close relationship. I don't understand 
what is it in, in Campbell McLaren that he cannot think I played an integral part in this and that's amazing. Why he has to turn into these gross exaggerations where the history is re rewritten that are not only are you forgotten, Bob Myrowitz, his boss, is forgotten. Your great partner, Horian Gracie, is forgotten. John McCarthy is forgotten. Um, Mark Lucas, your television director. Michael Abramson, Michael Pilot from Semaphore Entertainment Group. All of those people are cast aside. And that's the issue on this, the 29th anniversary of the UFC, that really has led to this conversation. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, it's one thing to, like you were saying, somebody make an exaggeration out of you know, playing Division Two football or jujitsu, But to do this massive exaggeration out in the public, you know, on Twitter, that's a big difference, you know? And I just don't understand why he does it. Well, you know, Todd, um, Campbell once said to me, he said, when I am in business, I know that I meet guys who went to Harvard or Yale and they always recognize each other and they've got like a secret handshake. He said, the other group that I've noticed identify immediately with each other are guys who had been in the Marine Corps. And I think that Campbell, who graduated with an MFA, a Master's in Fine Arts from Berkeley, always felt that he was operating from a deficit in a world surrounded by guys who went to Harvard, Yale, or were in the Corps. And of course, Art, Art you're, you're a uh, Vietnam veteran and served in the United States Marine Corps. But I'll tell you something interesting. Campbell actually contributed two things accidentally that were really crucial in what happened in the early UFC. Bob Myrowitz did not go to the first UFC, Todd. He stayed back in New York. Now, we had been working out a 50-50 deal between Semaphore Entertainment and WOW Promotions, and we still hadn't signed it. Friday morning, November 12, 1993, I run into Campbell in the lobby of the hotel, and he says to me, hey, you're going to sign the agreement today, right? I said, ah, I got so much to do today. I'll take a look at it on Monday. And then Campbell let loose with the bomb. He said, you've got to sign it today. I said, why? He said, Viewer's Choice, Viewer's Choice Canada and Request will not run the show unless Semaphore has a contract with you guys. You guys and the fighters are the talent. When I realized that, I knew that I had Bob Myrowitz over a barrel. Campbell had let the cat out of the bag. It was a 50-50 deal, but Semaphore had preliminarily agreed to pay for the TV production costs, the marketing costs, and Horian and I, through our company, WOW Promotions, we put up the $100,000 for the first UFC purse. So when I got Bob on the phone two hours before the show, I said, Bob, I'll sign the agreement but starting in show two, you pay for the fighter's purse and the fighter's appearance fees. And we still keep the 50-50 deal. Campbell let that cat out of the bag. I don't think to this day that Bob really knows that Campbell accidentally screwed him. Yeah. But the, the thing I'm curious about, I want to know you guys' opinion, both of you. 
why is it that he's just kind of making it look like it was just him? Maybe he I didn't get enough love as a child, I think perhaps. Credibility. He's got Combating America. And quite frankly, he was an employee at Semaphore. He wasn't a principal. And I think that he needs the street cred to be able to say, well, you know, 29 years ago, I was there at the beginning. In fact, if it wasn't for me, there'd be no show. I'm not surprised by it. And I'm not as offended by it as Sean and John McCarthy are. Both of them would, would willingly give Campbell McLaren a free jujitsu lesson if they saw him next. <laughs> and I was yeah, texting I mean, with John McCarthy. Yeah. Thought I was texting with John McCarthy about White. an hour ago. It's very purposeful what he's doing. You know what I mean? And I'm, it's not like we're all dead. I don't know what, what he, how he thinks he can do that. I mean, well, Todd, here, here's, here's the thing, is that if you look at, at all of the interviews, it, it automatically is a default position, says Campbell McLaren, UFC creator, UFC founder. There might yeah. be a co in front of founder or creator. Todd, if today you decided to call yourself Dr. Todd, I guarantee you in 10 years, people are going to call you Dr. Todd and they're never going to question is he an MD? Is he a DO? Does he have an EDD, a PhD? Did he just make this up? You repeat the same thing that people do it reflexively. And there are some fantastic members of the MMA media. I think about Mark Ramundi. I think about uh, the John Morgan, uh, Ariel Hawani, Josh Gross. And there are a lot of people who just don't have journalistic training and they just write stuff reflexively. So it's almost like you would write uh, former President Harry Truman. Or Olympic gold medalist Mary Lou Retton. <laughs> you just write Campbell McLaren without thinking, did this guy really do it? You're just writing what you're repeating and putting out there. And, and even really good journalists who should know better uh, fall into that trap. It's just putting things out there enough. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm half joking about Campbell didn't get enough love as a child, but I, I, I'm only half joking on that. I don't know about his child. Art, you know the man, I don't. But there has to be something empty inside of someone when they accomplish so much and that's still not good enough that they have to go on and embellish beyond that fact. You know, if you played in the Super Bowl, why do you have to lie and tell people that you invented the Super Bowl? I'll, I'll tell you what Campbell did, though, before he met me. He had been involved in the Catch a Rising Star comedy nightclubs. And quite frankly, Campbell always fancied himself a stand-up comedian, but he never had the guts to do it. I once asked him about that. I think he always wanted to be Gilbert Gottfried, but he didn't have that kind of a comedic voice, and I don't think he had the confidence to get up on stage. But he was a funny guy with a master's in fine arts from Berkeley. And I'll tell you something else he did. After UFC 6, there was some decision about having a commissioner. They had hired uh, Ron Van Cleef, as the commissioner for UFC 5, and Ron had asked them for a computer and some expense money, and Bob fired him. So Bob said to Campbell, hey, what are we going to do about the commissioner? Campbell and I were talking the next day, and Campbell was trying to come up with something, and I said, Bob, I'll tell you what, tell Bob that he's already paying me per show to be, you know, the, the booker, the matchmaker. I'm the new commissioner. Campbell went into the office and said to Bob, I got a great idea. We'll make Art the commissioner. And Bob said, hey, I like that idea. I'm already paying him. That's yeah, the true that story. Doesn't... Campbell did that accidentally. 
Now, why do you think it is that history has been kind of trying to write guys like you and John Peretti out of the UFC? Why do you think that is? Well, I think part of it is that we're not as visible, uh, obviously, as Dana White. And Campbell still being with his hand in the industry with Combating America. And I'm sure Sean agrees. You know, if it, if it keeps being repeated by people who are, you know, MMA bloggers who are not really as deeply intimate, Todd, as you are, or an Ariel Helwani, then I think it gets repeated over and over again. And Campbell has taken advantage of that. I'm not as offended by this as Sean is. Sean really thinks that it's really reprehensible that Campbell uh, does this with, you know, with, with a straight face. He doesn't seem to have any shame about doing this. <laughs> oh, and, again, and Campbell, also... Campbell really wanted to be a comedian. I think yeah. he's having to laugh at, at, at a lot of people's expense. And I think that's part of Campbell's personality. And, and Art, you know, and, and nowhere in the book, you know, and, and again, Todd, you have the book behind us, Is This Legal? And, and it's Art, Art's memoir of, of the four years of his life um, that I assisted with. Both of our names are on the book, but it's Art's first person account, his memoir of creating the UFC. There's nothing bad about Campbell in there. And Art, even as you and I were putting the book together, you wouldn't say a bad word against Campbell, and you really haven't. I think it's important, though, for you to in this platform to tell the story of the last time that you spoke to Campbell and really what, what turned your relationship. Well, you know, uh, Sean is right. I haven't seen Campbell in nine years. Uh, I got a call from Dana White inviting me to the 20th anniversary in 2013, and he had invited Campbell as well. So we literally met at the hotel, and I think he was sitting with Jan Wink, who later did some public relations for the UFC. And I had come in with Sandra Alvarez-Smith, who had done some documentary work, and she had a camera, and she was thinking about doing a documentary about the early genesis of the UFC. So she came to me with that, to that restaurant, and she asked Campbell, she said, well, can I put you on tape a little bit? Campbell protested. He said, no, no, no. He said, I don't want to be publicly uh, speaking out on this. Because she wanted to ask him while I was sitting there, you know, what did you do? What did Art do? What was it like? You both mm -hmm. were in the, uh, in, the, in the hotel at the Chateau Marmont in Hollywood and stayed in the, in the, in the room right next to John Belushi. And you guys smoked marijuana there together. She wanted to know the inside story of that. Campbell didn't want to be filmed. So I was a little offended by the way he was responding to Sandra Alvarez-Smith. And then at one point during the conversation, Todd, he says something to Sandra about the fact, he said, well, you're married to James Smith. He said, I always thought he was gay. And I think Campbell was trying to make a joke, but it fell very flat. And afterwards, Sandra says to me, the hell was that about? And of course, this is Jimmy Smith, who was my broadcast partner at the time at Bellator. And I don't want to tell tales out of school, but I will tell you when I saw Jimmy the next week at, at Bellator, and, and Jimmy is a legitimately tough guy. I think yeah. he was five and one or six and one in his pro MMA career. He is a legit black belt, and he legitimately is a really tough guy and an accomplished fighter. And and Jimmy was not happy. And I, I'm recounting a conversation from nine years ago, and I hope Jimmy doesn't mind me saying this. I hope he's proud I say this. Jimmy was like, if I see Campbell, it's not going to go well for Campbell. 
And it's not that Jimmy's a homophobe or any of us are. We're all massively supportive of gay rights. It was just an inappropriate thing to say. A woman he had just met, he never had met Jimmy Smith. It was just a weird, inappropriate thing to say. And I think he also said your husband is a Joe Rogan wannabe. I believe he also said that. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, I confronted him today about the thing because I was just like, that's not cool to be doing that. You know, you could you could say you helped and that would give you enough street cred. Why do you have to try and make it look like you're the guy who did it all? I just don't understand it, you know? Well, uh, Art was inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame in 2018. Hey, uh, Art is so graciously one of the highlights of my life uh, had me read his induction speech. Um, Bob Myrowitz is in the UFC Hall of Fame. Campbell McLaren wasn't there. I don't know when Bob was inducted, what Campbell did to his former boss. But as Art can tell you, uh, Campbell never reached out to Art when he was inducted. Not a text, not a note, not an email. Um, there were so many people from UFC 1 who came to uh, watch Art be inducted in Las Vegas uh that night in 2018 nothing from campbell mclaren and i've heard from the ufc that as long as dana white is there that campbell mclaren will never be inducted to the ufc hall of fame nor should he quite frankly todd when when i first met campbell uh one of the things that i found out that he was taking a look at and investigating for semaphore to produce for pay-per-view was mexican midget wrestling and I said, Mexican midget wrestling? He said, yeah. He said, you know, we're looking at everything that might be, uh, you know, edgy or new. So when I approached him and sent him, and as Sean knows, I sent him a two-page fax in those days. He was interested, and he wanted me to come to New York. And what I brought with me was the Gracie in Action tape, which had been done by, uh, by uh, uh, a friend of Horion's whose father, Victor Sherman, was a famous Hollywood director. And that video was incredible. And yeah. when we came to Semaphore in New York, I remember that Michael Pilat brought me down to his office and we put the video uh, up on his screen. We, we popped it in the video, in the, in, the, in the recorder. And suddenly everybody in the office was standing in the doorway, including Campbell, watching that video. That video, more than anything that I said or did, and certainly more than anything that Campbell said or did, absolutely turned everyone on, including Bob Myrowitz. They watched that video with their mouth open. They were shocked. Because now they could see what I had, was writing about in that it was a style versus style search for Superman. They got it immediately. But I mean, I, I'm amazed at you. It doesn't seem to, to piss you off at all that they're basically saying they created your idea. You know, why is that? Why is that that you well, feel that way? Well, here's something interesting, Todd. I realized that by my fighting for Semaphore to pay for the purses, starting in UFC 2, I actually started Bob Myrowitz on the idea that we really didn't need to be a full 50% partner. I was really showing him on some level, Todd, that we were the talents. We and the fighters were the talent. So within by UFC three or three or four, Bob wanted to know if he could buy Horion out. It was already starting to occur to him. You know, I don't need all these guys. I said, you can't buy Horion out. I said, wow, promotions, which is the company that Horion and I own, that we're the 50-50 partner. You can't buy one of us out. But it had already started Bob thinking 
So when I saw the political problems that we were having by UFC 5, I myself began to realize, you know, it might be wise to get out of this while the getting is good. And I proposed to Horion that we sell. And when I went to Bob, Bob was amenable. And he said, you mean I could buy WoW? I said, yes, but you now you got to come up with the price. So two weeks after that, Bob calls me up and he says, well, now I got to hire you. I, I, I was almost expecting that call because they didn't know where the martial artists were. They didn't know how to book it. They didn't know how to do the matchmaking. And they hired me for a, a big five-figure number for every show for the next two and a half years. But I think it got Bob thinking early on that, you know, our money with BMG in Europe to fund this and our TV prowess we're as important or more important than the talent. He started to deal with us like he was dealing with, you know, Bruce Springsteen or, uh, you know, or, uh, or uh, you know, Andrew Dice Clay. We were talent. I think that started when he realized he had to pay for now. He had to pay for all three of the big expenses, production, marketing and the purses. In a sense, I started that ball rolling by fighting him and telling him, well, I'll sign the agreement. But you got to pay for the purses starting in UFC, too. And, Art, you know, something I was thinking about, actually, is, is Todd, you reached out to Art and me this morning. And as I was thinking about it in the two-hour interim before doing the show, and again, it's in our book, Is This Legal? Um, Art, you raised $112,500, you and Horio. You basically did a pitch, and, and you came out of advertising. You know how to do this. It was at Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. You got 29 investors of different amounts, I think as low as $1,500, raised a total of $112,500. Campbell McLaren was there, and you, you expressed your gratitude in our book about Campbell McLaren came out to show the support of Semaphore. But what I was thinking, and I've never thought about this before, Campbell could have been an investor. So for someone who for at least 25 years has claimed that he was an owner of the UFC, he actually could have been an owner of the UFC because you had 29, for lack of better terms, civilians who invested in WOW Promotions, which was the company you created with Horion Gracie. So he could have been an owner. He was never an owner on the Semaphore side because Semaphore did the pay-per-view and Semaphore was owned by Bob Myrowitz. He was an employee of Semaphore Entertainment Group. But I don't know, Art, if you've ever thought about that irony, but Campbell, to show support, flew to Los Angeles, heard your pitch, could have thrown in five or $10,000 and chose not to. Yeah, uh, at some point, uh, he also made a statement to the New York Times quoting from the fighter agreement that I had written and gotten my attorney to bless about the fact that fighters could die. And Bob was furious because we were already getting pushback from the media and the politicians. And Campbell's statement reminding them what was in the agreement caused Bob to banish Campbell and bring David Isaacs up as the CEO for the pay-per-view that Semaphore was doing. Campbell could have invested at some point, could have come to Bob and said, you know, I'd like to put fifteen dollars or $20,000. I could. In fact, Campbell was getting a Christmas bonus every year. And he could have said to Bob, instead of the bonus, give me some action with this UFC deal. And he never did. That's really interesting in a way. We actually raised $250,000 from 28 investors. We put $112,000 into the first show. But that was our contribution. And Semaphore had Bertelsmann's Music Group 
that had been funding their concerts and comedy. So they had deep pockets. But Sean brings up a good point. Campbell never changed his own relationship as an employee. He had probably could have said to Bob at some point, instead of giving me my Christmas bonus, $25,000 or $50,000, how about you give me a piece of the action on the WOW semaphore deal? He never did that. Now talk about that a little bit. Like if, if you had put in fifteen twenty thousand, what would that get you? Well, I really don't know. I you know, in all fairness, I'm not sure that Bob would have been amenable to have anybody buying any portion of SCG, but he could have asked for some percentage, perhaps participatory, with a particular project like the with the UFC. Mm-hmm. Now, as Sean knows, Bob was confident enough in this deal that it was a five year deal. You know, the early publicity that, uh, that Zufa put out is that it was a one shot. Mm-hmm. That was part of the revisionist history that, you know, they only expected to do one show. That was a five year deal. And in effect, I knew how deep we were in. So by UFC two, the Bertelsmann's music group people had flown in from Frankfurt and were sitting there at the show. They watched UFC two from the truck. They wanted to see where their money was going. So, Campbell maybe could have said to Bob, you know, you ought to give me some piece of this action. And he never did. I doubt whether Bob would have been willing, because he and Ellen, his wife, owned Semaphore Entertainment, to actually give him any percentage of SEG. But, you know, he could have looked at it as a particular project and, and brought, brought Campbell in as a participatory uh, investor or employee. Campbell never did that. It's interesting. Now, was the sale he wasn't involved in that either was he no no yeah, that's another thing he makes it look like he's the one who sold to zufa no you know? absolutely not bob as i said wanted to buy horion out after ufc3 and i said you can't buy horion you could buy the company our company but you can't buy one of us so bob was already thinking of that now after ufc5 the difficulty of going back to charlotte the new south big insurance companies downtown, big banks. We were thinking, how are we ever going to get, you know, into the New York and the Los Angeles of this world? I saw the handwriting on the wall, and I could see that what McCain was doing, writing the letter to the other 99 senators, uh, the other 50, to the 50 governors, was the beginning of a wave. So I called Bob up and said, Bob, are you still interested? He said, let's sit down and do it. And we put together a deal in basically two weeks. Bob knew what he wanted. I knew we wanted to get out. And I sold Horion on the idea. In the new WOW office, I brought Horion over from the academy and I said, we're gonna sell this. Horion really didn't wanna do it. But I said, look, your brother isn't even coming back. I keep asking you, can I put Hoyce in UFC six in Casper, Wyoming? And you keep putting me off. Your brother Hickson has already turned me down. So the Gracies are finished fighting. I said, why don't you admit that to yourself? Let's get out now while the getting is good. So I talked Horion into it. And Campbell was not involved in that sale at all. It involved Bob's brother, David, who was Bob's attorney for Semaphore Entertainment, and Don Moss, our attorney, who had been with Disney in Pasadena. That's who put together that deal. Me, Bob, and the two attorneys. Campbell was not involved in it at all. Now, do you feel like you had no choice but to get out at that time, or do you regret it? Not at all. I, I felt 
that the handwriting was on the wall. I, I was one of the, in fact, I take credit that I was the only one who saw that that way. Horion didn't understand why we were selling. He said, well, why can't we hang around like we're, like we're still owners of the WWE? I said, let's sell now while the, the money is good and while we're still on top. Bob Marowitz didn't want to sell, and he didn't sell until Zufa came along and gave him $2 million in 2001. I was the first one to say, you know something? The rope is around our neck, and the politicians in the New York Times are pulling it tight. Campbell didn't see it. Bob didn't see it. Horian didn't see it. I saw it. I, I knew it was the right move. And Bob Todd write us a check. And then Bob hired me. I spent the next two and a half years at $50,000 a show, booking and matchmaking the show and being the commissioner of yeah. the UFC. <laughs> and, and Todd, that's why it was so seamless. And as someone who was a kid who was watching every UFC pay-per-view live in that era, starting with UFC 1, uh, and I'm nerdy enough that I still have, uh, I think, all of those on VHS that I recorded. Not the VHS that came out later from Vidmark, but, you know, the nerdy kids who would put in the blank uh, and then hit hit uh, play record on the VCR. My, my kids are, are young. They have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, I still have those. But as a fan, from five to six was seamless for me because art was still there. Art was doing the exact same job. The difference was he was no longer the owner. Bob Myrowitz was now the owner. By the way, Campbell McLaren wasn't an owner before or past, but that's why it was seamless. Art was still finding the venues, finding the talent, working with John McCarthy and Jeff Blatnick on the rules. And at that point, Sean is right. Campbell was basically out of the loop because of what he had said to the New York Times. Bob had demoted him and elevated David Isaacs, who was a Harvard graduate, and who had worked for BMG in Europe. David Isaacs took over from where Campbell was. Campbell had been demoted. So that's really interesting when you look at the evolution. And, uh, and as Sean knows, once Horion was gone, and I was still there as booker, matchmaker, and commissioner, I began to bring in the wrestlers. I had seen a video that Horion had in his office with Hicks and Gracie rolling with Mark Schultz up at, 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 uh, at Brigham Young University in Utah. And with Pedro Sauer, right? Minutes. Yeah. Yes. The kicks in 20 minutes to get his arm. So I started to bring in the wrestlers, starting with Severin. And that led to Coleman. That led to, to Couture. That led to Mark Kerr. I started to bring in the Brazilians that Horian never wanted me to bring in because he had one of his brothers in. I started to bring in Amory Batech, Marillo Bustamante, Marco Huas. I was then really running at top speed by UFC 6 and Casper. Sean is right. It was seamless. From 4 to 6, I was still the current presence and the face of the UFC in terms of handing the check to the winner. But now more than ever, I could bring in the fighters that I always wanted to bring in, the wrestlers in particular, brought in Tank Abbott and his posse, Tito Ortiz. Vitor Belfort, people that Horian said, oh, Vitor Belfort. He was upset because we wanted to call him Victor, Victor Gracie. He's never been a Gracie. He could never be a Gracie. And he, you don't understand, he said to me, he's not really one of us. So I brought him into the UFC. It was a great time, Todd, a great time. But, you know, now that 
when you're saying you saw the writing on the wall, obviously like Ziff and them were able to get those people off their backs. What, what did you think about that? Get which people off their backs? You know, like the politicians and whatnot. Oh, I, I, I knew it was inevitable that this was what, there was an easy target. You know, politicians are smart enough. They, these are the guys who run for class president when you're in high school, you know? <laughs> they're popularity guys. And they're smart enough to get in front of any parade. And it was easy to see that the brutality of no holes barred fighting, you can kick a man when he's down. I mean, a guy like McCain, this was perfect. He had been a boxer at Annapolis at the Naval Academy. You know, they have gloves in the Marquis of Queensbury rules. I saw that politicians were going to absolutely eat this up. They can't solve the problem of, of, of inflation or unemployment or racial division or, or foreign policy issues that were beyond our capacity. Look, I was in Vietnam. I saw what the government can and can't do. So I thought it's easy for politicians to get on board this UFC issue. It's an easy issue. It's like being for, it's like being against pornography. Who cannot be, if you're a politician, at some point for you to be asked, what do you think we should do about pornography? Well, let's ban it. <laughs> you know, it's easy. I saw where that was going, Todd, and I knew that the way was only starting. And so to get out of UFC 5, I look back on it, I was prescient. I was thinking ahead of the curve. Nobody else was ready to admit it. I was ready to admit it. But what I mean, Zufa has continued to go on. So why do you think they were able to do that? Well, it was, you know, it was an easy target. And you got to remember that one of the smartest things that was ever done, and I gave credit to Lorenzo and Frank Fertitta at the UFC Hall of Fame in 2018, they were smart enough to bring Mark Ratner in as vice president of government relations. This guy had been the the, the head of the Athletic Commission in Nevada, the most widely respected boxing commission in the country. To bring Ratner on board was to pave the way to getting this sanctioned in other states and in the nine provinces of Canada. Brilliant. And that was what you needed to do over the long term to be able to overcome what the politicians like McCain and the New York Times were saying. And remember, it, when I saw... Lorenzo Fertitta at the 20th anniversary show, we were back in the VIP lounge having a martini and Arnold Schwarzenegger came over to join us. And Lorenzo turned to me at some point and said, you know, I only bought the three letters. I knew exactly what he was saying because I'm an ad guy. He said, I paid for the UFC. He said, Bob had hocked everything. Bob Marowitz had hocked everything. He said, the content to Vidmark he said the patent on the octagon, intellectual property like the name. He said, I had to buy some of that stuff back. They basically didn't make money for the first four or five years. And Lorenzo admitted that once in an interview in Indianapolis at a UFC show there. He said, we went $50 million upside down. I give full credit to Lorenzo and Frank that they had the brains, the money, and the balls to do what Myrowitz and I didn't or couldn't do, I give him full credit. Now, what do you think about power slap? And now they're getting into that. Why do you well, think Lorenzo really, and Frank won in on that? I thought that was interesting that Lorenzo and Hunter Campbell and Dana went in on this. But I got to tell you something. It was on the nightly news here in Las Vegas in Clark County 
almost immediately compared, as Sean knows, to 29 years ago. The average, you know, Brian Gumbel would go on TV 29 years ago and call it human cockfighting. So slap fighting, I think, is going to find an audience. I think that the kind of resistance which the UFC experienced in the early years has evaporated. It's not the same kind of easy target. I give Dave Feldman a lot of credit for basically creating the niche of bare knuckle fighting championship. He's moving into a number of states that now are looking at, you know, favorably in sanctioning his new sport. The, the old opposition, which we saw in the first, from 94 to 97, those were the dark years. Yes, the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Post, ABC, CBS, NBC, John McCain, the mayor of Denver, the mayor of, of, uh, of Charlotte, North Carolina. How about the time that I went to Detroit and we did a show at Kobo, Kobo Arena where Joe Lewis had fought. We had a sellout. And the judge tells Bob Marowitz on Thursday and John McCarthy, I'll let you guys do this event, but you have to promise that there'll be no closed fist punching on Friday night. You have to ban that. So Bob said to me, what are we going to do? I said, I'll make a speech to the fighters. So that night in the dressing room before the fight, I said, listen, you guys, if you guys punch tonight with a closed fist, I'm going to fine you $100 for each punch. Big McCarthy was standing behind me, and John had a big smile on his face, like artists saying this, but you guys need to read between the lines. Well, that night, Mark Schultz gets in there with Big Daddy Goodrich, the world arm wrestling champ, and he hits him, Todd, with 41 unanswered closed fist punches. Monday morning, the, 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 the judge wants to see a video of the Friday night event. He looks at it, realizes that we've given him the, the Mickey, he calls up the chief of police and says, arrest Art Davey. I had already left town the night before. And the UFC pod didn't come back to Michigan, the state of Michigan, for 17 years. That's the true story. And Art hasn't been, and Art hasn't been back since. I haven't been back in Detroit ever since. <laughs> now, what do you, I know you talk about slap fighting, but I know you did X-Arm. Uh, how, do, how far do you think the slap thing can go? Well, you know, I, got, I just got a text from, uh, from Cobra Rhodes, who was one of my advisors on X-Arm, a great arm wrestling champ, becoming a great actor, by the way, in a new movie with Will Smith. And he said to me, you know, X-Arm was ahead of its time. He said, we, were, we had a wonderful set of rules. And I give credit to, to, uh, to Ted Williams for Gladiator Challenge, who was a consultant for me, and it helped me write the rules. And look at what Dave Feldman has done with Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships by having Sean Wheelock bring John McCarthy to the table and John writes the rules for Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships. It goes to show you that if you have some experience in this business and you know what you're doing and the timing is right, you can play the game. Well, how far do you think the, the, the slap thing will go, in your opinion? I, I, I'll bet that Lorenzo and Dana and Hunter Campbell are very successful with it. And I posted something on Instagram about that two or three weeks ago. I think they'll be successful. Uh, I think they're also having some people come out already and talk about CTE. You know, it's, there's no defense in that, in, that, in that event. You're not defending against the slap. You're just seeing how many you can take before you quit or, 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 or your brain, you know, rackets off the inside of your skull. But uh, I, I suspect that it's going to be a successful event. 
Um, why do you think they got involved in this, though? They already have the UFC. So Fertitta's got out. Why do you think he was able to drag them back in? Or were they never really out? Well, I think they were out. But I think that you got to remember that Lorenzo probably has $2 billion in his pocket. Yeah. And he's probably bored. He's a younger guy. He's younger than I am. He's a smart guy. And I think he saw another opportunity. Uh, Dana, look, Dana was the guy who uh, early on got in with John Lewis and turned uh, Lorenzo and Frank onto the UFC. I think what they've done is look at this new phenomenon and say, wait a minute, is this possible that we could take this and turn this into something that people will have streaming? Lorenzo told somebody that I know a few years ago, he said, the future is on your phone. It's streaming. Lorenzo's a very smart guy with $2 billion in his pocket. Why shouldn't he do something like this? Why not? Yeah, someone else told me that too, but I was wondering what you guys thought because, you know, if you get out of something, I wonder if you, like when you get out and you get dragged into something like this again, I wonder if he did it reluctantly or if he was all over it. Oh, it's, it's a fight game, Todd. You know it. It's the fight game. Once you're in, you're in, man. <laughs> on the other hand, on the other hand, when I retired and when after 2012, when we finally pulled the plug on XR, realizing that we couldn't get a deal on cable TV, I, I basically lost my interest in staying directly in the fight business. But then again, I'm 20 years older than, uh, than, than some of these guys. Uh, I'm much older than Dana and I'm older than Lorenzo. Let's talk about your book a little bit since we're you know, kind of wind this down. Let's talk about the Is This Legal? Um, which one of you guys wants to go first? Sean? Well, let's get a plug in. So um, we, Art and I talked about when the book actually came out. It was impossible for me to believe. I, I even misremembered the date. I was thinking it came out in 2015. I was still commentating for Bellator. It was uh, July 1st, 2014. So the book came out seven years ago. And Art and I were talking about um, you know, let, let's, let, let's bring it out. Let's talk about it again. So we've done some social media posts and, and very happily that's given us a big uptick in sales. Um, because I think there are a lot of people who were either unaware of the book in 2014 or quite frankly, weren't fans of the MMA, uh, of the UFC or MMA in 2014. So for them, it's almost like a new book. I will tell you professionally, it's the thing that I'm most proud of. Art and I were close when we started working on the book. And it, it, like I talked about earlier, it's, it's this whole other family relationship that evolved directly out of the year plus that we spent working on the book. And seven years later, we continue to be closer every day. Um, what I'm so proud of on the book is that it's the true story. Even though it's Art's memoir, everything in there is true. Um, there's a pretty prominent art. I haven't even told you this. Um, uh, there's a pretty prominent MMA manager who contacted me that she purchased the book. And I told her everything in there is true. And John McCarthy, who has an amazing memory, I pride myself on having an amazing memory. And I, I think John might even be ahead of me on the amazing memories. Um, John McCarthy, I gave him a manuscript. I was commentating a Bellator at Mohegan. John was there. I, I printed off and gave him the physical manuscript um, before it went to our publisher. And I had John read it. And I said, John, if there's anything that you think is false or is being misremembered or misconstrued, tell me. John said, no, everything is correct in there. Um, I, and I'm so proud of that because historically it had to be accurate. You know, you read a lot of memoirs. You read a lot of biographies, autobiographies. 
and, and you know that people are playing loose with the facts. So I wanted this to serve as Art's story in his memoir and get Art the credit that he so absolutely deserves. But I also wanted this to serve as the historical record. You know, uh, Clyde Gentry has, has done some amazing stuff documenting the early days of the UFC. Um, I've read other books that I think hit it, but those are all second person. When you have the person who actually did this telling the story, but telling it in a way that's true and where Art's not trying to put himself over, he's not trying to settle any, any scores, he's not trying to continue with any grudges. And by the way, Art's incapable of keeping a grudge. You still hear he hasn't said anything bad about Campbell McLaren on this interview. It's the true story, and that's what I'm so incredibly proud of. So uh, the book retails for $24.95. Um, if you went to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, that would be the cover price, and that was set by our publisher. Art and I have done a special this month, $14.95, and that's the pay-per-view cost of UFC 1. Believe it or not, it was $14.95 29 years ago today, November 12, 1993. So all month long, we're selling the book for $14.95 is that price. And you can go to our website. You can purchase it directly from Art and me. It's isthislegalthebook.com, isthislegalthebook.com. And through the month of November, you get that fourteen ninety five price, 10 bucks off the cover price. Todd, what was interesting, uh, Sean came up with a brilliant idea early on in terms of memoirs. He said to me, he said, memoirs fail because they, they make, they either go in one direction or the other and both are mistakes. You either go in the direction of I'm the great I am. And it's basically an opportunity for somebody to take a bow and, 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 and pat themselves on the ass. Or he said what they do is they complain about the fact that they've been screwed by somebody. And the book becomes a lament and, mm -hmm. and basically a, a, a revenge on, on whoever they think screwed them. Sean said, if, if, we, if you write a memoir, he said, it's really got to go right down the line. Give credit for everybody that was there right down to your receptionist. And he said, make sure that you don't wind up looking like you're patting yourself on the back on every other page. He said, also remember, if you're reading a book about the Revolutionary War, you know that General Washington becomes the president, but you want to make it a page turner so that at the end of every chapter, you want to go on to the next chapter to see, are you going to be able to do this? And he really was great editor. Uh, so I was able to keep the, the suspense going with the kind of problems that we ran into and we go from chapter to chapter how, you know, the boys from Brazil, the New York bankies, the semaphore people. And I think we've done a good job of telling the story and giving credit to everybody who made it possible or who also maybe created some political problems for us on, on, the, on the side of the media and the politicians. And those, I guess, we were not willing to, you know, uh, be that generous to. But in terms of everybody that worked on this project, including Campbell, we try to give everybody credit. Yeah, and, and you'll see how magnanimous Art is, and it's tr truly an, an Art's wonderful character and personality that he's incapable of being mad at anyone or holding any grudges. Everybody who deserves credit gets the credit that they deserve. Horion Gracie, Bob Myrowitz, Campbell McLaren, John McCarthy, um, that people who are lesser known, who were there at the Gracie Academy or people from Art's childhood uh, hood, or when he was working as an advertising executive. What really struck me when we got into this book was how this was destined to fail. It's not one of those, oh, this is a great success story. It was bound to succeed. No, this was actually bound to fail. And it was bound to fail because every way that Art went, every direction he turned, people said, this is the worst idea I've ever heard. 
Martial arts, my wife is laughing in the background, and it's true. Martial arts people said this is horrible. TV people said this is horrible. Boxing people said this is horrible. Sports people said this is horrible. Everyone said this is horrible. Art actually, and it's in the book, had to take out ads in magazines. And my 11-year-old daughter, baby, a magazine was a paper thing that you turned. Magazines are lost to history. Um, inside karate, inside kung fu, black belt, advertising to get fighters. Tony Lopez, who's still fighting, it was at BKFC1, who's a buddy of mine. Actually, Art, I don't know if I told you. Tony Lopez actually filled out the ad and applied. You didn't choose him. But Tony Lopez, who's still fighting at like 50 years old. That's how desperate it was. Art kept trying to call Dan Gable to get a wrestler, and he could never get a call returned. He was calling to Japan, trying to find sumo fighters. They were hanging up everywhere he turned. He would, he would call the Penjack Salat Federation, click. He would call the Taekwondo Federation, click. People were saying, this is horrible. And advertisers didn't want it. Fighters didn't want to be a part of this. It, Chuck it's Norris weird. didn't want it. Chuck Norris, and that's that's the and it's in the book. But that's where is this legal comes from? Art, it's your story. I'll tee you up and you tell it. But but this just shows how deep this went. That everyone except for Art Davy and his sheer will and force of personality and unwavering passion and determination brought this to life. If you tell the Chuck Norris story, though, I think I think that's spot well, on. I've always got to give credit in any version of this story, which leads to the book, to Horian Gracie. Remember that uh, I discovered the Gracies in a Playboy magazine article, bad, that a sportscaster, a sports writer named Pat Jordan had did in September 1989 in Playboy. I found it in the library. In the Torrance Library. So I give credit. That's a good library, Art. My librarian, Shawnee, Kansas, didn't have Playboy. <laughs> right. <laughs> on the other hand, with, without the Gracies willing to step forward and take on all comers, you know, the Amin Bosteppis of the world in those days in Black Belt Magazine were saying that they were, you know, undefeatable and that they had death techniques that were, you know, would have been illegal. And it was the Gracies who enabled me to move forward and I give Horian full credit that early on, he said to me, well, he says, I don't even care about all these other arts. He said, you seem to do a lot of reading. He'd never really heard of Penjack Salat when I, when I brought it up to him. He had heard of Sambo, but he Penjack Salat, he thought I was making it up. He said, where is that from? Is that from Cleveland? <laughs> he didn't know. <laughs> so, so, so early on, Horian gave me a lot of room to, I, I became the booker. And by putting the ads in the magazines, that's how I found uh, Pat Smith through Karen Turner, who was doing kickboxing in, in the Denver area for Coors Beer and found Pat Smith. That's how I found uh, Kevin Rozier, you know, uh, through Charlie Anzalone. All of these people really uh, came out of the woodwork. Now, the Chuck Norris thing is I wanted to use Judo Jean LaBelle as our referee. And I proposed it to Horion. He said, I know Judo Gene. I said, I know you do. Didn't you guys work on TV shows together? He said, we were hired as stuntmen two or three times. He mentioned Heart to Heart with Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers. Mm -hmm. And they were both on the Los Angeles Police Department's advisory committee to come up with martial arts techniques based on Judo or Jiu Jitsu for the LAPD. And Horian said to me, I, I don't get along with Gene. I said, well, you know, he was the referee at the Inoki Ali match in Tokyo at the Budokan. I said, you know, having him as the referee, he would know what he's looking at, number one, and he's a name. I said, people remember him. He was on the Munsters 
He was on the Munsters TV show playing a wrestler. I said, you know, it'd be Horian said, nope, no Gene LaBelle. So I said, well, what about Chuck Norris? I said, could we maybe get Chuck to come? He said, I've done some seminars with Chuck. Chuck has rolled with my father. He's rolled with me. He's rolled with Nixon. He said, I'll make an appointment. We'll go out and we'll see Chuck. So I had written down all bullet point issues about what we were going to do on one little five by seven index card. I said, let's go over to his house. I said, you keep that in your pocket. Your job is simply to introduce me. Once you get me in the house and I'm sitting in front of Chuck, I'll do the pitch. You're just there to, to back me up that I'm, I'm legit because he doesn't know me at all. He knows you. He said, well, let me go over there first. And he said, we've had an issue the last time we did a seminar and he only wanted to pay me, but not my brothers. And he said, we were not doing that seminar. Let me go in first and kind of smooth that over. Then I'll bring you in. I said, great. I sat in the car and parked in front of Chuck's house while Horiam went inside. 20 minutes later, I'm sitting there waiting. I'm ready to bite my nails. So Todd, I'm figuring what happened. Horiam comes out and he says to me, he, he doesn't like it. I said, he doesn't like what? He said he kept saying the same thing over and over again. I said, what do you mean? What did he say? He said, well, you know, I took the card out of my pocket and I started to tell him what's up, what we want to do. I said, well, what was his reaction? He kept saying, is this legal? Is this legal? Chuck felt that maybe the cops were going to show up, the sheriff or the Marines. <laughs> so that was the end. And I, I, he, Chuck, he never, I never went into the house. Years later, I was at Chuck's house and I owned a TV show that I wanted to interest Chuck in. And Chuck stood up in front of everyone at that meeting. And he said, I want to make an apology here while artists in my house. And he said, 11 years ago, I was wrong about the UFC. And I put that in the epilogue to the book, Is This Legal? Because I thought that was a really class thing for Chuck Norris to do. It showed what kind of a guy he is. But I never sat down with him for the first UFC. Horion never got me into the house. Horion got told, is, is this legal? Chuck didn't, Chuck didn't want to be there at all. He didn't want to sit in, in, ringside. He was afraid. Do you want to say anything about potential film? Well, I will say this, that uh, five years ago, we had a producer approach us, and he had done a couple of movies which had won Academy Award nominations, hadn't done big box office, but he had a great feeling for the book. He had read the book and said, I love this story. Well, he was able to bring a bigger producer in, somebody who had done movies that had done over a billion dollars a box office. And they have optioned the film, and then uh, about, um, about 14 months ago, we did a Zoom call with seven or eight movie studios, and three of the studios bid on it, and one of them finally won the bid, and we signed an agreement in 2021. So they've had three writers working on a script based on the book that Sean and I did eight years ago called Is This Legal? And they've even got a director selected. They've got a woman director, and they're just polishing up the script. I think it'll go in front of the cameras uh, early part of spring or summer of 2023. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's funny because both Art and I, you know, coming out of the fight world and, and out of TV, I, I mean, I just did a show last night. You know, I, I'm, I'm on pace to do over 40 shows again this year. And, and I'm like, this is the pace I work at. So, you know, I'm, I'm over 100 shows in less than three years, knock on wood, typically. And we're like, okay, this takes time. But it, it's just a completely different pace with the film world. 
uh, a pace that Art and I, who are kind of men of action, are not used to. But as long as it continues to move in the right direction, and we have a real entertainment lawyer who has negotiated real contracts with really major players, it just takes time. But then Art and I console ourselves by looking at films and we'll say, you know, it, it, it took like 14 years to make this film and it took 11 years to make this film and it took 22 years to make this film. So we get it. It's not fighting. It's not live sports television where somebody cooks something up and a couple of months later you're live to the world. But no, do, I'm extremely I, optimistic. I do yeah, know. Tell, tell them one last time where they can get this book. So is this legal? The book.com is this legal? The book.com. You can buy directly from Art and me this month for fourteen ninety five. Again, if you find it on Amazon, you find it in store Barnes and Noble. Uh, the cover price set by the publisher is twenty four ninety five. But Art and I control a certain amount of inventory that that way you can buy directly from us. And again, fourteen ninety five is the price that uh, was the pay per view cost of yeah. Look at that, Todd. Autograph by Art of oh, UFC one 29 years ago today. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get it signed for you. I think you want art signature. I don't know if you want mine, but you definitely want arts. Well, I take, I appreciate you guys taking time to do this because I wanted to really set the record straight on some of this. And, you yeah, know, you know what? Art, the guys that do this. Art, I want to give you the final word, but I'll say this. You will see in the book the, the contributions that Campbell McLaren made. And again, they were fantastic contributions. They just weren't any of the contributions that he is claiming today and that he's claimed for the last 20 or 25 years. Mm -hmm. But you'll see Art's, Art's genuine uh, friendship and affection for Campbell and how Campbell did play a major role in bringing the UFC to light and to life, quite frankly. But again, it's the real story. It's Art's story. All roads lead to Art. You'll see how the Gracies came on board. You'll see where Campbell comes in, Bob Myrowitz, John McCarthy, John Milius, whose quote is on the book. John Milius, by the way, uh, wrote Apocalypse Now, the screenplay with Francis Ford Coppola, directed Conan the Barbarian. Um, we talked to his son, who was a Gracie student. Uh, he read an early draft of the book, right, Art, saying, yeah, this is all true. So the book was vetted. We stand by it eight years later the way we did coming through. I'm also very uh, proud and happy about the fighters that, that were there for UFC 1, two of whom have already passed on, Kevin Rozier and Pat Smith. And I, I still think about those two guys, uh, the, 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 the 10 fighters, the eight in the tournament and the two alternates were the bravest guys in the world. They were, you know, like test pilots back in the day. And they allowed me and Horion and Semaphore to put them on TV and to prove what a lot of people in, in the martial arts magazines were claiming, that they were Superman. And we found out who the real Superman was. And that was the success of the show. I really want to thank you today, Todd. It's been a great opportunity for us to tell our side of it. But, uh, you know, Campbell is uh, a guy who was um, uh, a help and an assist. And uh, I give him a lot of credit that he's still trying to make his, uh, his way in the MMA world. And uh, quite frankly, I'm really excited about the fact that John McCarthy and, and uh, Sean Wheelock are still major, major players in the, in, the, in the broadcast business when it comes to mixed martial arts fighting. Well, again, guys, I appreciate you taking time to do this and uh, always grateful to talk with you guys. Todd, always grateful to be on, man. Thank you. And, and keep doing what you do. You're huge for the fight community. Thank you. It's great talking to you guys. 
Thanks, Todd. Thank you. Good day. Take care. All right. So if you want to uh, follow Sean Wheelock, it's at Sean underscore Wheelock at Instagram. And if you want to follow Art Davey, it's at UFC Creator. And uh, like I said, check out Is This Legal? The book.com. If you're interested in buying Art Davey's book, which is a pretty awesome book, I've had it for a while. You know, I've read through it. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, if you order it from Is This Legal? The book.com, Art Davey will sign it and write a letter. Or if you want Sean Wheelock to sign it as well, he will. You can just put that in your request when you order it. Or, or you can order it from places like Amazon if you want to do that. But I, I highly encourage you to use isthislegalthebook.com instead if you want to buy the book. So definitely check it out. Anybody who's a fan of the UFC, past or present, has to have this book in their collection. If they have any book, it should be this one. So as always, I appreciate listening to the episodes and stay tuned for more.